Got my notes. This yeah. says Jackrow is cool and then has like a heart around it, but Oh that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how well it's gonna be on the test. I don't think that's any of the answers, but uh, you know, I'm I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but you know what I can appreciate? I can appreciate how much people are listening to this Quad Games podcast. My name is Giacomo. Today I'm with Dakota and Sheldon, and we're gonna talk about Hyrotech Circle. That was cold opening, yeah. guys. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone knows on our podcast, this is our second attempt at this. Uh, we recorded this episode about three weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, the audio died. So uh, today we have Mr. Giacomo, the one and only G-Man himself. And we have the one and only Sheldon. Kill Ooh. Team Stream. And uh, me, Dakota. So... Um, I've I've met other Dakotas, so I'm not the only one and only. Sorry. Yeah, I've met uh, and Sheldon's too, but have yeah. you? The we're the one and only us. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like Highlander rules, right, Dakota? So you got to go <laughs> seek them out and and finish them. Wouldn't that and, mean and eat, and eat them so that you they become part <laughs> of you? Like Jet Li's the one. It's Is way better weird? than than the Highlander. Is that what happens? Yeah, like, well, they, he doesn't, like, cannibalize them like Hannibal Lecter, but in Jet Li's the one, he goes and, like, to different universes and sucks up all their powers and stuff and becomes super strong, and it's a great movie. 10 out of 10. Great movie, guys. <laughs> it is. It is. I'd recommend. It's almost as good as the D&D movie was. Didn't see it. It's not a hot take. It, it actually was much better than I thought it was going to be. Oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I mean, it was has, good. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I liked it. Oh, yeah, I good. liked it. It was, uh, you know, I, so, I think it's fine. Uh huh. You think it's fine? Yeah, it's fine. Just fine. You just said it was good. Yeah, it, I didn't say it was great. I think oh. it. I think the thing that we have to remember is that the expectations for this movie were super low. <laughs> it was like a big budget Dungeons and Dragons movie, right? That's, so, that's I mean, true. Every every. Every forty uh, 40K movie and uh, D&D movie has really sucked to this point in time. I would the fact that it was watchable is already a step above, and it was actually pretty fun. There were some pretty cool moments. Yeah. I mean, it's not winning don't, like... You don't know. you do it, Giacomo. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. You're already thinking it, so I'm good. <laughs> I am thinking it. <laughs> Everyone yeah. else on this podcast is thinking of it, too. I don't know. Maybe. That's how he wins. He's like a mind virus. He is yep. a mind virus. <laughs> he was the mimic. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, Giacomo. Oh, my oh, goodness. Giacomo. Well, I mean, I, I think at this point, <laughs> I want to thank our patrons uh, for keeping us keeping us motivated, bankrolling these episodes, making it happen. You know? Absolutely. And also thanking FLG, you know, for letting us become an affiliate for their network. And also if you guys are going to any FLG events, that's including Lone Star Open, ASO or BAO uh, in the near future. Uh, if you buy a ticket 
from our affiliate link, we do get a kickback and it does help support the show and our YouTube. So that would be awesome if you guys want to. Uh, if not, I understand. But you should do Sweet. it. <laughs> you should. You guys, uh, you guys got an affiliate link. Yeah, you so know? it's it's pretty fascinating. We actually have the one and only Sheldon on, like I said before, and he is the tournament organizer for Bay Area Open for the past three years, correct? Yeah, and you know what's pretty cool about the Bay Area Open? What's up? Uh, that affiliate link would work if you're trying to get tickets to it. So. It sure Whoa, would. no way. <laughs> and if you're getting tickets this is shaping up to be the biggest bao ever correct it's always been historically like a smaller kill team uh out uh, like outcome but well, i mean uh, to be the biggest bay area open ever is uh is a pretty low bar but it is actually <laughs> out to be pretty good um the, i think the previous uh record is like what 12 so we're uh, <laughs> And we're already uh, over double that, so I mean, can't get can't can't get better. <laughs> yeah, but there's also a ton of people coming to this. So we have uh, Jimmy Kelly who won Kill Team Open. Yeet. We have Baki, uh, Chris Baki, who is uh, one of the best players in the United States. We have Sheldon, Kill Team Stream himself. I mean, I'll uh, be I won't be playing, but I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, he's a legendary tournament organizer and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. So if you guys are coming, make sure that you stop by and say hello to them. Um, Baki's been on the our podcast multiple times. So is Sheldon and uh, Jimmy Kelly's been on once. Also, me, Giacomo, and Saya are planning to be there as well. So if you guys are fans of the podcast, decide to come on down or come through the tournament, say hi, we'll chat, you know, and... Uh, Hang out and talk about some kill teams, some Warhammer, and some uh, roll some dice. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, May twenty seventh through twenty eighth uh, at the San Francisco Airport Marriott Waterfront in Burlingame, California, just by the San Francisco Airport. So make sure to check it out. And like they said at the beginning, make sure to use your affiliate link, your Squad Games affiliate link, located in the description to get your tickets. That is Thank correct you, in the description. Yeah, and podcasts do have a description. I know that not everyone knows, but our Discord link is there. So if you guys ever want to join our Discord, say what's up, chat with us. Uh, we just had someone from Scotland join our Discord. And that was really cool to see. It was very, uh, I'm very uh, excited to see our podcast growing and the community growing. And um, I just have to thank all the listeners, you know, for for this. You know, like no matter how many listeners we have. If we took every single listener and put them in a single room, it's kind of like we're talking. It's just it's such a cool idea that uh, we're able to talk to everyone. So uh, again, thank you guys for your your continued support. Yes, I mean if you took all your listeners and put them in a, a single room, I'm, I think you'd need to rent out a pretty big room. <laughs> Very well made. <laughs> hey, you know, let's could all let's all go to so Las Shel- Vegas Open, guys. Yeah. There so. The last time we talked on this episode, we were we were, we were talking about the Hyrotech Circle. They are the newest upcoming bad boys on the block. Uh, there was a tournament that they were in at a, a local Warhammer store down here, and there's four or five of them all playing out of 14 players. And they seem their popularity seems to be on the rise. Jo- uh, Giacomo, do you think these guys were overbuffed? I think... 
like a lot of expectations, such as the D&D movie, maybe Warhammer movies, this team had low expectations, too. Oh so any amount of buff is very much appreciated. <laughs> um, no, I think I think I think the change is fine. Stage. Let's set yeah. the stage. The, this team out of the gate was came awful. Out, <laughs> came out uh, hitting a, a zero zero batting average. <laughs> uh, the there were multiple tournaments where even good players playing them were losing every single game, and they had uh, I think the worst win rate we've ever seen in the game. Uh, besides maybe something that isn't being tracked like visibly, like, I don't know, heavy intercessors or something, but, um, they were, uh, they were not doing too hot and, uh, they received a buff in the previous status slate, which, uh, brought them up to, uh, a hot D tier. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that, they they are now being talked about in uh, potentially being good. I think they've earned it, you know, just saying, just throwing yeah. it out there. <laughs> so, so you guys know, if you guys haven't listened to our past podcasts, um, when they came out for the All-Valley Team Tournament, we had them pegged as uh, probably the worst team ever because they came to the All-Valley Team Tournament and even though it said they won six games, that's that's just strictly because of how team tournament works. If if your team wins, then everyone counts as a win on your team. So we had one particular team, Team Angry, the the, the people who won the whole thing. They had a Hyrotech player uh, that played against some of the best players in the world, uh, Jonathan Marquise, and he lost every game. And so did the other Hyrotech player that was Alec Berryman. Um, two of the possibly the best sports in all of Kill Team. And uh, they, it was funny after, after that weekend, the very first weekend that they were released at art at, was the All Valley Team Tournament. And there's also a tournament that happened in Spain. It turns out they had a 34 or 40% win rate. And people were like, oh, they're not that bad. But <laughs> they actually had a 0% win rate because <laughs> they didn't win a single game oh, no. in Europe or in the United States. But because of our team tournament, it made it, it like changed the fluctuation. Uh, and then people found out. So I think it was actually a 12% win rate because awesome. I, I won one game. And then that, in that Spanish tournament, the, one of the Hyrotech players beat um, the last place group player, I believe for, um, uh, a, a hot 12% win rate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? They were better than Compendium Crew. So that is that is saying something. Yeah, I mean, I still, <laughs> I still thought Crew were good on the drop. And they've also, re- you know, similar to uh, Heretech, they've received a bunch of buffs as well. So, I mean. Yeah, the the, the Farst- they're the Farstalker Kinban, right? The Farstalker Kinban, they, I've been told from many many sources that they are good right now. They are really good. The problem is that when you take them to a tournament, you're going to lose one game, one of the, your three games, just because they're so dependent on dice rolls. Mm-hmm. So because one game, statistically, you're going to roll poorly. Uh, that's why intercession is so so popular, is because even if you roll poorly, you're still going to kill stuff, right? Um, because Farstalker Kinbad, 
will roll bad one game, you will lose that game that you roll bad. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Do you think that, what grade do you think the higher tech circle is now, Sheldon? Right now, I think, I, I mean, uh, I would say probably an, an A. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where they're at right now. I think, uh, with all the, the buffs that they've gotten in the recent data slate, you know, don't be sleeping on these guys. They've got some some really cool tricks, and their biggest, um, you know, negative previous to this was was their staying ability, and that's been greatly enhanced by the changes to reanimation protocols, which I think really gives the team uh, the legs that it needed to uh, compete in the big leagues. So why don't you explain more on that? Because not everyone might be um, super familiar with the higher tech circle. Because I know before our last episode, I th- I'd never even looked at them because they were so bad. They would just never <laughs> appear at any tournament. So like they got buffed and I was like, oh God, now I have to learn these guys. And it wasn't that bad, right? It wasn't like, I was like, oh, they're actually, they're actually not that complicated. It's a pleasant surprise. They seem complicated. Play them. Yeah. I would yeah. almost think they're a good beginner team because they're, even though it sounds like on paper, like when you look at it, you might see all these abilities and think, oh, wow, this is like maybe really complicated, like something like Warp Coven, you know, with their sorcerers. It's actually way easier than you might think, because unlike the sorcerers where you're having to pick, you know, three boons and you're having to, you know, figure out, you know, your uh, uh, your spells and all that stuff, you know, you're with this team, you're usually only picking one of those special sorcerer characters, which are called the Cryptex in, in Necron terms. And they're, uh, you know, usually only taking two abilities. And once you figure those out, you know, everything else is pretty much, you know, falls into place because you're basically just working with, you know, a bunch of immortals and maybe a death mark and a Prentech. And, and that's, you know, once you figure out the cryptic, everything else is pretty simple. Somebody once told me that it's cool to disagree with your the people that you have on your podcast, and I will do that right now. Nice. I think that this team is good. I know I just said I disagree, and I'll tell you why. I think they're great for I think they're great for beginners. I do think that. The problem is I am actually putting together a higher tech circle right now for a commission that I'm working on. Um and I can tell you that this team is not fun to put together, um, hobby wise. They, I have, I have big hands. Um, I have been doing this hobby for 20 years, 20 years. And I feel like I actually have to use a tweezer on a lot of their bits just to glue them together because, um, like some of the bits are just so fiddly. It's it reminds me of putting together the flayed ones. And after I put together the flame ones, I wanted to do things that I can't say to myself on this podcast. Um, anyone can imagine <laughs> what that is. Um, but like, um, yeah, I was very I, I I did not enjoy joy enjoy putting together the brand new flayed ones. So I will tell you, mm-hmm. the psychomancer is probably I, I've done a lot of hobby. Like I have converted models. I've done crazy stuff. That's probably way, you know, way harder than anything that stock GW can produce. I still think the psychomancer is probably, if not the hardest 
definitely in the top two hardest models I've ever had to put together. I am not enjoying. I have to do him soon. I just did the Technomancer. I did the Printech, and the Printech is what gave me some problems because of this like weird neck collar. So, so you oh. guys know it has this neck collar that you have to attach a neck piece to, and then you have to glue that onto the model. And if you don't get the 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 neck piece incorrectly, the head won't sit right on it. And it's super fiddly and super small. And it's like, oh, God, I hope I don't break this. I hope I don't break it. Uh, okay, I didn't break it. And <laughs> Oh, you sweet summer child. The literally is going to break your soul. I, I promise you this. It has taken <laughs> me 30 minutes to an hour to put together every single model. Now, that might be because I've been trying this plastic glue. I'm not the, usually the biggest fan of plastic glue, but I wanted these models to like last a long time. And mm. It takes. Uh, did you guys know that plastic glue, like the the Tamiya, like thin set cement, and the the Tamiya cement, takes two and a half hour dry time? Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah, that's f- that that is that is frustrating. Let me tell you, when I'm a super glue man, right? Uh, it is frustrating to not to basically be like, okay, I'm gonna put this over here. You pick it up like 15 minutes later, and like two pieces fall off, and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this again. Very frustrating. I did not know that. That's why I use the Model Master plastic cement. Okay. What do you there use? You the Model Master plastic cement. That stuff is uh, it. It's pretty much the same sort of stuff as the Tamiya, but um, instead of like a brush applicator, it's like a tiny kind of like thin metal uh, tube. Um, yeah. The worst part about it is that you have to kind of like stick a little needle down that tube every like couple times that you use it because it'll get clogged. But mm-hmm. the the it's just perfect for miniatures. It's like it, it's a, uh, it does basically the same thing as the, the Tamiya. It, it like fuses the plastic together, but it, it does it very quickly and it's very strong once it's, once it's set. What is your favorite um, glue Giacomo? Um, I mean, when it comes down, I'm a big fan of BSI, the pink bottle, which I believe is um mm-hmm. That or the gold. The gold one's good too. Well, it's, it's called black gold, but yeah. Uh, I like BSI. I just, black gold you know, is also great for acrylic, right? They're great for a lot of things because black gold doesn't leave staining. You know, that's a big thing for me. Because mm-hmm. right now I'm using an army painter super yeah. because I just needed something at the time and that was there. Um, I I hate it. It's It leaves so much like the little white spots if you let it dry. Um, but there's one thing I wanted to point out that has nothing to do with glue. Do you think that the Pariah Nexus box is going to see a resurgence in, in, in purchasing because of the one specific model that's in that box? Yes, Giacomo. Absolutely. I can already tell you that because of this commission, <laughs> I had to find the, was it the Chronomancer that came in that box, Sheldon? Yep. Chronomancer. Yeah. Well, he's impossible to freaking find. Impossible. So, uh, and this person wanted every single every single miniature in the in the in the in the team. So, I was I've been trying to source that for a while. Uh, it was it was quite a pain in the butt to do it, and it was expensive to get. So, I did not realize the Chronomancer was uh, hard to find because I know he's sold separately. I didn't know that he's he sold out online, and then I believe that he is uh, currently at least at least at the time of recording this episode. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, I do want to just touch on BSI's purple glue is is my glue of choice when it comes to anything other than plastics. Mm-hmm. A BSI is great. 
They're a California source company, based company, and they did sponsor LVO. And I wasn't the biggest fan of them. I actually used uh, Zappagap for like millions of years that I've been alive. Um, and uh, the BSI I, is is I quite like. So. Oh yeah, I've been using the their uh, uh, their purple bottle uh, pretty much since I started in this hobby, and it has not let me down. Back in uh, the old days when uh, you would use like you know the super glue that you could get at a hardware store before there were all these like hobby glues and stuff, uh, it used to be a real pain to to glue together metal models, and you mm. has you'd have to like drill like a pin and then put the pin in so that it wouldn't fall apart. But now with the BSI uh, glues, I have like complete confidence to, to glue a metal model together without any pinning. It's that yeah, good. BSI is a, is a great company. If you guys, if you guys out there look at, they aren't currently sponsoring us now. I mean, I've been in the talks of possibly getting some of their glue uh, in my shop, but haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. If any of you guys are interested, in buying a Luster's Workshop branded, uh, branded <laughs> glue. Why don't you add us on? Yeah. Uh, why don't you add us on, or at least mine and Giacomo's and Sheldon's favorites. Um, if you're interested, give us a shout out on our Discord or on Twitter or something, you know? But yeah. yeah. So let's get back to uh, Living Metal. We were Pirate talking about circle. Living Metal. <laughs> Necrons. Yeah. When I said that this team was easy, I guess I forgot to mention that I wasn't talking about the hobby aspect. I was talking about the play aspect. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the team is is I mean, Immortals are pretty easy to put together, but yeah, Agreed. yeah. the uh, the team is not the easiest to model, but they are very easy to play once you get you know past their idiosyncrasies and uh, what makes them special. I think, um, you know, if we want to go through, uh, the team, um, absolutely. so we, we were talking about living metal reanimation. That's probably a good place to start since it's their special ability. You know, the thing that makes them, uh, uh, unique, uh, you know, if you know anything about Necron lore, uh, Necrons, uh, are basically robots made out of this, uh, substance called living metal. You could think of it almost like the Terminator T-1000, you know, turning into a liquid metal blob and then coming back together and forming a shape. Well, uh, that's what they do. So when you shoot one of them, you know, it's pretty easy for them to repair it, which that's how uh, it is uh, represented on the tabletop is with the uh, living metal and the reanimation protocols rules. Uh, living metal simple. You uh, regain two lost wounds uh, at the beginning of every turn in the ready operative step, or one for the plasma sites. And then reanimation protocols is a interesting ability that they have that allows dead models to come back potentially in a future turn after they've uh, been incapacitated on the battlefield. So basically, there are three ways to reanimate with the team. There's the um, the stock. Uh, you can kind of think of it as your you know your basic. Any anyone can reanimate with the uh, with a tactical ploy uh, called uh, commence reanimation, mm -hmm. um, which allows you to do it without any 
you know, like you don't have to be next to a certain model or something like that. Like it, anyone on the team, if they die, you can do that. And because of the balanced data slate, it's free. So because it's a tactical ploy, there's still the limitation of being able to use it once per turn, but it doesn't cost any CP. So you can do that once per turn. The other way that you can reanimate is with the, uh, the special plasma site model called the plasma site reanimator. Uh, his special ability is if you die when you're within six inches of it, you can also do the uh, reanimation uh, attempt. And uh, the final way is if you bring the uh, Technomancer Cryptek, he has a third way that um, allows you to do it. And because of the way that the Apprentic works, if the Technomancer is on the field, the Apprentic also has that ability. So basically, there's three ways to do it. So you could have a potential of up to three models reanimating. And basically how it works is when you attempt reanimation, uh, you put uh, like a token down on the board along with any like effects that it still has, plus one APL, minus one APL, you know, if it's got, um, you know, some special spell or something from, from uh, an enemy that's like, you know, making it injured or something like that, all those stay. Uh, or like, you know, marker lights from, from Tau, that sort of thing. And uh, you turn it into a token on the battlefield along with you keep, whether or not it was, uh, you know, engaged or concealed. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the next turn, uh, you get to roll for any models that have, like, any of these tokens that you have out on the battlefield, basically. So... Um, uh, when you, when you roll, uh, if you roll three up, you successfully reanimate. So you put the model back on the field where the token was or within three inches of that token now per the data slate. And it comes back with D three plus three wounds. And then you immediately still get to do the living metal roll, which means that you're basically getting D three plus five wounds back onto the model and you're getting to place it within three inches of where that token dropped. Uh, there's been a little bit of confusion because the Wahapedia uh, article, I think, has a misprint. But basically, it doesn't have to be set up uh, as close as possible to the to where the token was. It's just within three inches. So you get to kind of do anything as long as it's within three inches of the center of the token. Hmm. Oh, that's spicy. That is. Yeah. That's a, yeah, it's a lot better than it was before. And then the, the, the thing is, once once that model has been reanimated, it can't be reanimated again. So you get one. It's like everybody gets one, sort of a Spider-Man joke, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty cool. Uh, the A few of the changes that the, the, the data slate made is, like I said, it bumped it up to D3 plus 3 and the within 3 inches and um, allows you to put now an order of your choice on it. Um, and it also, if you're doing it with the reanimator, uh, it doesn't subtract one from its APL like it would have, uh, with the, with the rules as written. Uh, so it's basically free to reanimate somebody and it costs zero CP to do it with the ploy. So basically it's just free to reanimate all across the board. Now, here's what I'm wondering when you had the living metal ability and let's say I'm doing a ploy 
that or a attack up that would get me a point for killing something, does that still count if you make the reanimation protocol save and then come back up? Uh, so you should be incapacitated. So basically, if it, if the way that the uh, the the rule is worded is that the model has to be incapacitated, you technically are. So awesome. Fair enough. The only thing that they um, is in in narrative play, it it changes it like because it, it's not treated as incapacitated for casualty tests, but um, for for like you know, getting points and stuff, you can you can still get points off of a incapacitated model that way. Sweet. So that's a small nerf for them, but ultimately, it's still. I mean, they would have got they would have got it anyways, right? Um, what is your favorite model in this uh, in the higher tech circle, Sheldon? Favorite you, model. So, so everyone knows Sheldon is a Necron man. He has a lot of Necrons, a lot. Uh, he can probably rival my, my, uh, my Eldar with the amount of Necrons he has. So yeah, I have uh, approximately 25,000 points of Necrons. 25,000. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got a lot more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have every model that they've ever made. Plus, you know, like, uh, multiples of most of them, including second edition versions of Necron, like the the small metal ones. Those are the only ones I used to have. I sold when I was a kid, and I regret it. But like, oh. I have all of the like the yeah. I know, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually started Necrons in second edition. Funny story when I when I first started playing Necrons, the only rules they had were in a white dwarf. And uh, they were like a, a couple blister boxes on the corner of like the Games Workshop like store, and uh, I thought they were the coolest thing. I was like, "Oh wow, these are like robots that come back to life!" And that's what started me with with Warhammer uh, back in Second Edition. These like metal Necrons, and when you would bring them to the Games Workshop store, like people would literally go, "No, you have to play Games Workshop armies here." And I'd be like, "Oh, they're down in the corner," and people would be like, "What?" What is this? <laughs> um, so then when the big third edition plastic Necrons came out with the little green uh, tubes and stuff, I was all about it. I was, I was mm. so happy. Uh, they, they were the coolest thing that ever happened. I was like, I love those little tubes, even though they've kind of gotten rid of them from the line. Like that was, oh. that was the thing as a kid. I was like, Oh look, they've got little green energy tubes. It's cool. Yeah, those were, those were cool. Those were cool. I have, I actually sold (laughs) all of my third edition Necrons for my wedding. Uh, And I think I kept like 12 Necron warriors out of your collection. What is your favorite Necron model? And what is your favorite Necron model on the Hyretech team? Well, the favorite model on the team uh, is definitely uh, the, the uh, Psychomancer, but my favorite, um, model that I have is a conversion I've done, um, which is a conversion of the Forge World special character, which actually my whole Necron collection, I, I, I have it all themed as the special Forge World Maynarch dynasty, which um, mm. they, uh, they're, the main character that I, I really love is uh, Tohulk the Blinded, 
who is, um, he's the famous, uh, Necron who created all the little Canoptic creations. So all the little like scarabs and, and, uh, you know, spiders and, and centipedes and all that stuff. He was the one that, uh, created them. He's called the super cool model. Uh, if anyone looks him up. Yeah, the the uh, he's uh, the reason he's blind though is because he tried to destroy time and uh, he he was um, punished. They took away his reanimation ability and uh, and blinded him, like took out his eye for trying to destroy time. <laughs> yeah, that's a little that's a little bad, you know. <laughs> I think it's a bad ass. <laughs> <laughs> living metal um no that's awesome uh is there any like do you have like a favorite vehicle did you like their most recent like update uh when ninth edition gave them uh, a bunch of love yeah no i've i was excited and horrified at my paycheck when uh when <laughs> when i came out <laughs> uh oh i've got to spend a lot of money but yeah no i've i've loved everything that they've come out with the for the necrons uh one kind of like sleeper thing that came out right before ninth was the Srap Sraptech construct, which is the uh, the like Necron Titan from Forge World, mm. which I have, and mm. it's pretty pretty boss. <laughs> my my two favorite models would be the Scorpec Destroyers. I love those the little dudes yeah. with the little sword arms and stuff. If they ever came to Kill Team, I would have to play them. Um, and I also really like uh, Sazerac, the uh, Silent King. So yeah. I think they did a Dude, great model, job with those two. Great. For sure. Yeah, Giacomo, do you have any? Uh, do you have any favorites? Yes, it is the the lowly but surely not always needed in most games. Necron Warrior. When I almost started Necrons after Space Marines back when I was like fourteen, that was what I liked was those acrylic green tubes that you could just put in, and I thought those were so cool yep. that I wanted to play Necrons. And I never did. I agree. Because they are, they are, they are still cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the Necron warrior is the heart of the, of the, uh, of the team. Like, you know, basically the, all of the city, it, it basically be like all of the citizenry of the, of the Necron tier became just these warriors, you know? (laughs) And they're like the bulk of, of the, of the army. I thought immortals were cool too, but um, I don't know how immortals are doing now in the game. I'm I'm actually not sure if they're still around. They still a thing? Oh no, I was thinking pariahs. Sorry. The, uh, the the oh yeah, pariahs are not. Uh, they are actually I think like the only major thing that they they like removed from the army. But basically, you could use those models now as lich guard. Is is what you. I uh, love the Pariahs and I love the Nightbringer. Those were my favorite models back in the day for for them. Nightbringer's dope. Dude, the Void Dragon looks pretty good nowadays. Yeah, it's surprisingly. Mean, yeah, it is. And the new Void Dragon is super cool. I could I could I could go on about Necrons for forever. <laughs> So what's your, uh, going back to higher tech, uh, what is your favorite strategic ploy or attack ploy or possibly both? So, I mean, obviously you can't talk about it without, you know, the, the reanimation, which, which is a tactical ploy, but the, um, for strategic ploys, 
Um, there is a, an ability called Intractable March, and basically um, it adds two inches to uh, Deathmark and Immortals movement characteristics if they have an engage order. Um, and that's kind of crucial for your first turn in all, almost every game. Like, it has to be pretty special for you to not use that because uh, they've got four uh, inch movement base, and so that puts you up to six inches, which, you know, is kind of the only way to get out onto the board turn one. So it it becomes almost like a mandatory ploy that you have to use in every game. Usually the first, I mean, always the first turn, usually the second turn. After that, you might not need it, but yeah, you're usually playing that ploy every game. Copy that. Is there anything else that stands out to you that uh, players should probably know about or use more often or possibly use less often? Yeah, I mean, uh, Undying Androids is uh, is pretty good. It, it allows you um, to basically, if you're not in cover, still get your retain your cover dice is, is pretty much how it works. So if you're out in the middle of nowhere with your immortal, you're not, you're, or, you know, somebody gets like a, loops around and, and denies you cover, you're still going to get cover. And uh, with this team, you kind of want to really make sure that you stay alive. And so any any way to you know boost up your survivability is definitely uh, something you want to be doing. All right. All right. It's also got a pretty cool... Cortical subjugation, uh, which is a tactical ploy. One of the one of the cool things about that is uh, I don't know if you've ever heard Chris Baki talk about his uh, blooded, but he calls his uh, "get down, Mister President." That's basically what it is. You can have somebody jump in front of the cryptic, um, and if it's being shot, you can shoot the other model instead of the cryptic. Um, and then leech power is pretty fun. So basically, uh, if, if, um, you're going to activate your cryptic, you can give it plus one APL and it basically steals that APL from another operative on the team. Uh, and, uh, the operative, as long as it's within four inches of the cryptic, you take one APL from it. And with the, the buffs from the data slate, since, your accelerator and your reanimator plasma sites aren't really like losing their APL anymore from their abilities. They've got a lot more APL to give out to the, uh, to the cryptic. So usually it's good to steal it from the plasma sites. You can steal it from like the reanimator and then go do a massive, uh, four APL. But basically because, uh, command is now free five APL <laughs> turn with your cryptic and, that's always gonna give your uh, give your enemy a hard time. <laughs> That's really no. unique. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's something that you imagine think. the, the yeah. yeah the chronomancer having five APL, but having uh, basically a uh, nine inch movement, so you can move uh, eleven inches with a move and a dash with fly. And have five APL. It's it's pretty brutal. <laughs> now, do you typically take 
uh, recon security or competitively wise, do you take recon security or tech ops or they're, they're like they're innate tech ops themselves? Um, so I usually, I mean, you can only take one of their, um, their unique tech ops. So mm-hmm. I usually take one. I, most of the time, uh, I find myself defaulting to unearth artifice. Um, the, it's just, it, it's kind of like, um, uh, what's the, what's the recon, uh, uh, the, the, the tech op that, that, uh, you, you pick recover up. item. Yeah. It's kind of like recover item. Basically it's like free points. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Which one was that again? Uh, unearth artifice. All right. And then I would assume that you take uh, recon as well. Uh, yeah. Um, or usually at least it depends on the, uh, on the team that you're playing against, but yeah, recon and security are both pretty good. Um, I find myself typically doing recon. Um, but yeah, security is also solid with this team, I think. So can you just put the unearthed, uh, artifice item near your, your, uh, recover item and just kind of duo pick it up with like one or two models. Basically. So, uh, the recover item is a little bit more restrictive than the unearth artifice. So basically the recover item has to be in your opponent's, uh, side of the board. Basically like, you know, a millimeter away from the center line is, is (laughs) kind of where it usually ends up getting placed. But, um, (laughs) the, the unearth artifice just has to be within, uh, or farther away than six inches of your drop zone. So sometimes you might want to separate them if, if you've got a certain plan. Um, you know, you can kind of like leapfrog from one to the other sort of thing. Um, but yeah, if you have a way to, for instance, deploy a death mark, uh, and they have an ability um, called dimensional translocation where you can forward deploy them on open boards in an instance where you could put both of them in a, in a advantageous place for him to teleport onto, you could theoretically secure, uh, secure them both with a death mark. And then, and then it makes sense to put them both in the same spot. Fair. Yeah. That, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty strong. Not going to lie. So let's, let's move on to the lesser guys before we talk about the, the, Mm, the heroes of the army. Um, what what do you usually take? Do you usually take the Tesla Carbine or the Gauze Blasters on your Immortals? Because I assume that uh, Immortals are the way to go with this team. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're always taking the Despotech Immortal uh, mm-hmm. in every matchup. I think he's an auto-take. Um, and then your mixture of Immortals can vary. Um I usually like it's not a steadfast rule, but usually I'm running Goss against elite teams and Tesla against um, you know more horde teams. Um, there are exceptions, like you know if you're playing Geller Pox, they've got a little of both. You might want to bring, for instance, uh, like the Despotech with the Goss, and then your basic troops with the Tesla, that sort of thing. There are some instances where you know, uh, you're, you're switching out, you know, for, for a death mark and an apprentice and you've only got like maybe 
to immortal, you know, like, you know, there's, there's some, there's some kind of edge cases, but usually it's, it's, it's a good rule that Goss against elites and Tesla against, um, now why is that? So the, so our listeners know, if you don't have the book open, um, the Tesla carbine has five attacks hitting on threes and does three, three damage with splash one. While the gauze blasters have four attacks hitting on threes, four, five damage, AP one. Uh, now the Despotech is awesome because he has, instead of having the stereotypical 10 wounds that most immortals have, he, he has 12 wounds and he hits on twos. Yep. Which is bonkers. <laughs> yeah. um, which is which is a really big buff, which I really like. I think the math works out that like the Tesla carbine is almost always the best option, but um, there's something to be said for when you're going up against an elite model, the extra damage and the AP one, and they're not usually going to be clumped up together in general, so the splash kind of becomes useless. Yeah. And for like a few mortal wounds, if you get crits, but I, I, I tend to think that like, um, the Tesla's, if you're against a team that's, you know, is going to be clumping up. And I mean, most horde teams, it's impossible to not deploy them like somewhat clumped. Yeah. You get some really good, like, uh, you know, economy out of, out of a Tesla because, um, there's an equipment that you can take that's called the arc shock projector that makes your splash three inches instead of two. And almost across the board, people prepare for two inch blast, but almost nobody ever prepares for the three inch splash. And you can, you can really like hurt like a, a horde team, especially on like a, one of the, when you're doing like the triangle, the Toblerone deployments, you know, <laughs> no, the Toblerones, of course, of course. Because mm-hmm. they're they're they're. You really- just triggered half of our audience. <laughs> the other half don't know what a Toblerone you is. Just triggered. <laughs> <the other. laughs> I just had to throw that in there. I like it. But the uh, the um, when whenever you've got a big team that's clumped up that that splash the 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 exception of that is breachers. Uh, breachers have um, I think it's like void armor that that stops the splash damage so it's almost never worth taking the tesla against them uh even though they're a a larger team and might clump up the uh gauss blaster i think maths out better against them and i think um blooded also have ways to get around the splash with their their beast pelts i think um so basically as long as you know that they're not negating that splash damage, it really does a lot, you know, and you get a lot of economy out of it. Gotcha. And now, um, that arc shark projector is quite a good thing to have in your list for, for your equipment, because it does give that, that three, uh, that's a very powerful. Not a lot of people know about that. In fact, I was one of the ones that didn't know about that until we did this episode last time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, um, if you're taking Tesla, I almost always take the Arc Shock projector on him. Now, is there a reason to possibly take both? Yeah, like I said, I mean, if you're going up against, say, Gellerpox, uh, you're going to maybe want to pump the Goss into the Hulks and the Tesla into 
um, the more gribbly guys, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on to the, uh, and is there a reason why you don't take the Tesla carbine for the immortal Dispotech? I do sometimes. I mean, there, um, if I'm, if I'm taking all, uh, Goss or all Tesla, usually the immortal will match the Despotech will match the immortals. So, um, you know, I kind of run them as like sort of, you know, a cohesive group. Um, basically the, the, the Despotech usually matches the immortals. Like I said, the only difference is maybe if you're playing, uh, a team that has, you know, Hulks and Griblies, right? So you've got, you've got to kind of be doing two different things, but most teams usually have a gimmick and they're all kind of that gimmick. So having, um, uh, like, uh, both of your immortals and your Despotech, uh, as, as the same is usually the play, whichever that may be Goss or Tesla. Got it. Now, um, what about these plasma scythes? What what is the uh, what is the key to using them correctly in a match? So plasma scythes, uh, funny Those enough, are the little bug looking things. Yeah, funny enough, talking about Gellerpox, they share a similar ability with Gellerpox that they can fall back for a less action point. So they fly. They're fast. Uh, they're very fragile. Um, they have a couple like special abilities, uh, like. Um, they're always treated as having a conceal order um, when they have a conceal order. So, like, you can't get vantage on them, that sort of thing. Um, they can Super fall back. conceal. Yeah, they can fall back for one less action point. So if you think you're locking them up, you're not. Or they can lock you up and then jump right back out. Um, they're, they're, um, they both have fly, right? But in, instead yep. of the, the bugs in Gellerpox, these guys can take they can take uh, objective points, correct? Correct. Yeah, you can you can kind of use them as little like objective jockeys that jump around and uh, uh, you know they they could do something like secure vantage, fly up at the very end of a turn just so you can get that secure vantage. So good. Yeah, they can fly onto a point and and loot it that sort of thing that maybe you wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise. Um, they've got a lot of utility just in their native ability, like the reanimator um, giving a bubble for the, for an extra reanimation is super strong. So the plasma site reanimator is, is probably the MVP out of the two plasma sites and the accelerator kind of becomes like, you know, I don't want to say that he's like just, you know, my little suicide drone, but he basically is, you know, I, I, <laughs> I can send him up and do stuff. And I'm not too worried about him dying. Because I don't really get too much use out of his like comms ability, but that being said, uh, he does pair up pretty well with the Despotech. If you are going to try and go that route, because uh, you can you can uh, comms the Despotech, and now you've got you know uh, twelve wound uh, hitting on twos uh, uh, command module going through. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty strong. Yeah, the 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 thing that I think we missed out on was going back to the despotech having the demand ability, and you can demand somebody else uh, giving them uh, 
something to do, but he can also do that to himself, correct? So basically, uh, yeah, he has an ability called Demand, which uh, lets him select a death mark or a mortal visible to, and you're always visible to yourself and within six inches of himself. Um, And uh, he gets basically a free reroll without having to spend a command point. Uh, It used to be the kind of thing you would never use because the... um, Cost an AP. Yeah, it cost an AP, and it was... uh, you know, you had a two APL model that's uh, already like has some important jobs on a very like low model count team, but now post data slate, it's a free ability. So you you basically like use it every turn now because there's no reason not to, and um, because even if you don't have any other targets, he can always do it to himself, right? So now you're rolling on twos, re-rolling uh, one of the dice. It's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the Deathmark and Printech. Um, Deathmark, uh, we spoke last time. What? Why? What is the reason, and why do you take him when you take him? Because I know that he's not taken very often. Yeah, he's the kind of model that you only bring out if it makes sense to bring him out. He's obviously not as good on Into the Dark, and he is really good in uh, in open boards, but. You know he can he can teleport down onto the field uh, halfway through the turn one uh, or at the end of turn one. You know wherever you, whenever you would activate him, he can teleport onto the field basically. And that's with a tactical ploy, dimensional yeah. translocation for one CP. Yeah. So if you're taking the death mark, you're almost usually using the dimensional translocation ploy because it's kind of gives him because he's his his weapon has heavy. So basically you usually want to set him up where he's going to be and then not move him kind of thing. So the ability to teleport gives him, you know, the, the ability to not have to worry about the fact that, you know, he's only moving four inches and he's got a heavy weapon and, you know, all these things because he's teleporting wherever he wants to be, you know, and it's usually on top of a vantage point or um, on top of your uh, <laughs> recover item, uh, slash um, unearth artifice token, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely. And then you have, and he can also like just jump right onto your retrieve item, your unearth artifice, all that kind of stuff. Exactly. So usually turn one, I'm bringing him down, picking up the recover item because he'll have one APL turn one. Um, and then uh, turn two, uh, you can either give him uh, an extra APL uh, with the plasma site, um, or, uh, uh, he can do the unearth artifice. Um, or alternatively, there is kind of a cool thing because the, uh, immortal despotech command ability, you can actually have him, even though he's counting as moved, he can overwatch turn one if you, if you command him. So there are, there is, some cheese there that you can kind of like get out of him, get him up onto a vantage point, make sure your despotech hasn't, um, uh, activated yet. Then you could give the despotech, maybe something like chronometron from the chronomancer. So he gets an extra three inches of movement. He runs up and then, uh, uh, 
command or no from the apprentice. You'd have to do it from the apprentice. So the apprentice gives them the three inches of movement, and then the cryptech commands the uh, death mark to Overwatch through the despotech. <laughs> it's kind of a like a a crazy. Uh, this this team is all about those kind of crazy combos. Mm-hmm. In- and the more you play them, the more you find out. Like this one, I want to ask you about right now. So why don't you tell us about? Uh, that high level strategy that you could do with the apprentice and his little overlord, like one of the uh, who's the dude with the staff of light or Bissell, uh, what any any of the HQ models? Yeah, so basically, uh, the apprentice is like the wannabe cryptic, mm-hmm. and he can do um, he can either do the cryptic's power instead of the cryptic. Uh, for instance, if you're a cryptic is incapacitated he can do that ability uh if uh you know you want to use it from a different area of the board the apprentice can do it if you want to keep the cryptic safe you know that sort of thing he also has an ability called magnification conduit which allows you to shoot from the cryptic through the apprentice and the cheese i talked about previously which you're referencing is that the cryptic can be on a vantage point shooting through the apprentice and the apprentice uh will even though the apprentice might be on the ground level it's still receiving the shot is still receiving the benefits of vantage so you can get some pretty cool tricky shots also yeah, theoretically super cool shot yeah also because of the way that it's worded the apprentice could even be in combat uh, and you can shoot through him. You can't shoot at the person that you're in combat with, but you could shoot through him to somebody else. Yeah, that's um, that's one of the most that's one of the coolest things that uh, I think of this team can do is like somebody can be really be hiding somebody that's really important, and then you can just use your apprentice to really uh, your apprentice and your 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 cryptex to really surprise somebody, you know. Moving on to the big bosses themselves. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown of each one and why you would take each one? Yeah, so there's the Chronomancer, which you're taking most of the time. So it's probably the most important one to go to go over. Um, and he is, uh, you can think of him as like your time wizard. He, <laughs> car- he, he changes time. He either can make someone move faster on your team and give them a five-up feel-no-pain, or he can um, uh, create uh, what's called a counter-temporal nanomine, which uh, reduces uh, two inches from uh, the distance that um, models can move uh, during an activation. And this is kind of the cheesy bit, so in the recent data slate, um, they they made us a a, a, un, a new universal rule that um, uh, the movement characteristic cannot be modified to less than two inches, even if injured. But because the counter temporal nanomine isn't uh, reducing the movement characteristic, it still applies. So even if you have like, for instance, you know, like a another Necron player or a Death Guard or something that has four inches of movement and they're injured, 
you could then remove that final two inches off of them so they're they're unable to move as long as you're within six inches of it. And basically how it works is it removes two inches off of any action that they move within six inches of the mine. So it doesn't just remove two inches from their movement, it removes two inches from every move action, which means if you're moving, you're going to move, you know, say you have a six inch movement, you're going to move for four inches, but then your dash, if you're still within six inches, is only going to be a one inch dash. Your charge is going to only be six inches. Like that is uh, what's pretty cool about it. That's so you rough. can reduce someone who's got a six inch movement down to literally only five inches of potential movement. Yeah, that's super, super. <laughs> Especially <laughs> imagine doing that to a, to, to like a, an intercession squad member or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When they really need to get something or move somewhere. Because um, on, on elite teams, you are you really depend on your movement. You really can't really make a mistake. Do you think that these guys are, who do you think is like their best matchup uh, compared to their worst matchup? Uh, best matchup versus their worst matchup. That's a good question. Um, so their worst matchup is probably the easiest one. Cause I think it's probably Kasserkin. Funny enough, the team that came out with them even over pathfinders. Yeah, I think Caster can give him a really hard time, and that might be just because I play Chris Bakke all the time. Mm. I don't know, but they're they're uh, they're just well suited to deal with with the uh, higher tech circle. Um, uh, best matchup, that's a good one. Probably intercession. They're pro- I think I would say that their best matchup is probably like intercession. So, would you also say it's legionary? Because they're very similar, or do yeah, you they're really they- good into both of those teams for sure. Oh wow! And why is that? I mean, they're just really good at taking out, you know, a model every turn, no matter what. And when you've only got six models, you know, that's that's brutal. Yeah, that'll 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 do it a hundred percent. Especially if they focus it down, and that's typically the the route that you want to go if you're face if you're facing any of those. Uh, Elite teams is just to focus one down at a time. I was thinking the some same teams thing. are are better than others at it. Like, because if you think about it, um, as an intercession player, my general idea is if I'm going to shoot at someone twice with the regular guy, I need to make sure they die. So if I shoot someone twice, but then they reanimate, then that messes up my plans hugely. So I can't counter that. So that's yeah. this is really good against elite teams. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? You know, when when an elite team kills you, they're expecting you to die, and this team sort of, you know, bucks that trend. So you would say, what what about Harlequins? Would Harlequins be good into these guys, or do you think that they just don't have enough of the the damage output? Because the Kasserkins really have a lot of damage output. So does, like, Pathfinders and Vetguard and stuff like that. Yeah, the cool thing about Harlequins, which makes them tough, is Domino Field, for sure. Uh, I think Domino Field is their is their their big um, strength against this team uh, because it sort of negates um, uh, your ability to remove one of one of their models uh, guaranteed. Um, I I think it's a it, it's an interesting matchup for sure. 
Um, if it, if it's a good Harlequin player, they're gonna they're gonna know how to kind of move around and keep you you know outside of six inches, and it can be a really tough uphill battle. I do think that it's not as like bad as something like Casterkin though, where you know they're they're just like removing you know multiple Necrons off the board each turn and doing you know <laughs> yeah they, it doesn't matter to them you know yeah. The the thing is is that if you're taking like the Chronomancer into into uh, uh, Void Dancers, you know Harlequins, you're you're going to be able to sort of mess with their movement a lot, and I think that's that's sort of where the play becomes interesting because you're you've got this sort of back and forth with with movement, and and since Harlequins are kind of all about movement, it can really like mess up maybe like their their strategy, but you know, any good Harlequin players probably played through, you know, all the different matchups a bunch of times. So as long as they're experienced with the matchup, they're going to give you a, a, a tough time. It's not going to be uh, straightforward, but if, if it's a Harlequin player, that's, that's not used to the Hyrotech matchup. I think it can really be a shocker for them for sure. Makes sense. Now the Psychomancer, he's the the other best option, correct? Yeah. Real quick though, Chronomancer last ability, he can uh, turn someone's regular save into an invuln save, which I I almost never take. But I just wanted to point it out that that's his third ability. <laughs> um, and then okay, so yeah, Psychomancer, Psychomancer, I think is your is your elite uh, killer. He's really he's really strong. I, I usually bring him against, like I was saying, intercession, uh, legionary, those uh, you know custodies, those sort of teams because um, of his AP two blasts with splash. <laughs> so he can he can trigger, you know, like a pretty crazy uh, uh, thing against elites. But he's also got abilities. Um, his first one, Conjure Trauma, uh, he can select an enemy operative visible to him, and until the end of the turning point, uh, it's treated as being injured, regardless of any rules that say it cannot be injured, which actually is one of the few special abilities that gets around the, um, I think it's Durable, uh, or is it Methodical? Which one's the one, Giacomo, Intercession, one that removes uh, metho- the injured? Methodical. Yeah, where you, yeah, you can ignore the uh, so, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Conjure Trauma is one of the few things that can get around Methodical. Huh. Um, oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. And then Nightmare Shroud. Um, you can select an enemy operative uh, within six inches. And, uh, or no, until the end of the turning point, each time an enemy operative within six inches of, uh, of the um, Psychomancer uh fights or makes a shooting attack um your opponent cannot re-roll their attack dice and cannot retain attack dice as critical hits so <sighs> you turn on nightmare shroud and you somehow you know i think maybe the better play is to have the psychomancer on the field and be doing some of these with the apprentice so that you keep your psychomancer safe but having that ability uh to like basically turn plasma into useless <laughs> and like 
uh, a guarantee that if they get a one, they can't re-roll it. You know, it's pretty strong. Yeah, it's super strong. And uh, not being able to re not being able to re-roll for uh, a team like Intercessors is really really debilitating. And then not having any crits like that's strong. It's brutal, absolutely brutal. And then uh, Harbinger of Despair, uh, you you select a point, and now this is kind of cool because it's it's a point that's visible to this operative, but there's no um, distance requirement. So as long as the Cryptic or Apprentic that uses the power sees this point, they can just activate it, and it goes onto that point. It could be all the way on the other side of the board, but uh, they you place a token. Uh, on on that point, and each time an enemy operative would perform a mission action or the pickup action within two inches of that token, one additional action point must be subtracted for that enemy operative to perform that action. In addition, when determining control of an objective marker, that token is within two inches of, treat enemy operative's total APL as being one less. Note that this is not a modifier. So... Uh, basically you can just like make it an extra, uh, action to pick up a recover item or make it an extra act, uh, uh, action to, um, action point to, uh, claim an objective. You can make, uh, you know, uh, a model that has three APL now two APL. So you can compete with it, you know, that sort of thing. It's, uh, um, it's pretty strong as well. And uh, one cool thing is the Psychomancer in combat, his uh, weapon has Reap 3. <laughs> wow. Which is okay. crazy. Now that is, uh, Reap is, is pretty pretty gross. I'm not going to lie. I didn't, I didn't even know. Because mostly you look at his, you know, shooting profile. You don't typically look very much at his... Uh, yeah. As, at his melee weapon, but Reap 3, that's that's pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, the one downside is it's not a lot of damage. His, his, his shooting's 2-2 two, two and, his, and his melee is 2-3. But, um, so... Taking getting, the hordes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing, is I, I don't think he's a good horde. If you're taking against hordes, I would almost always recommend the Chronomancer. But the, the Psychomancer is definitely the more elite killer. I think, and it's it's more based on the abilities that he does. I kind of think of his shooting and his uh, fighting as like just a bonus that he ta- he gets to add on top of him, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a, a good note, and this is probably a, a good time to make the note is in the most recent data slate. One of the changes that they made is um, the cryptic actions, whereas in the book they're written that they expire at the end of the turning point. They now have changed that. So it, it, um, it changes end of the turning point to the start of the next, uh, uh, the start of this operative's next activation. If it's incapacitated or if another friendly operative performs this action, whichever comes first. So for instance, if you drop uh, that Harbinger of Despair token, uh, you could leave it there. Like, say you drop it the first activation 
of your turn. You can then leave it there that whole turn. And if that, if the Psychomancer is the last model you activate on the second turn, it effectively lasts for two turns. Hmm. Huh. And, uh, yeah, that also is the same if, uh, the Apprentec uses the, um, the Cryptic ability. So, uh, if the Apprentec does it and then the Apprentec doesn't activate until the end of the turn, it stays there as well. And that also works for like the Chrono Mine with the, which is what I call the Counter Temporal Nano Mine. Um, you could drop the Nano Mine somewhere like on Into the Dark. It's really brutal you can drop it down in like a hallway and then like close the door. And then like, it's there for like the, the next two turns and just like the enemy is just like moving or not like moving at five inches or like less. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty gross. I'm, I'm a big fan. And then, uh, the final, uh, cryptic is the technomancer and his ability kind of stems around, uh, reanimating. So he buffs like repair and reanimating. Uh, he has the rights of reanimation ability, which is similar to, um, the one that the, uh, plasma site reanimator has. So if you activate it, you can reanimate around him. If you're within six inches, um, which just basically adds a third way that your team can reanimate in a game. So would you take this guy into teams that you struggle with, like, um, like the, uh, Karsikans and possibly Pathfinders? Like, would you take this particular guy just cause you can reanimate more than just what you could before? Yeah, I, but I still, I, I don't know this. It's a tough one. And I'm, I'm sure that there is a, a use for him. Like you said, in an ability where you're already going to be suffering, that's kind of his strength is if you're going to be suffering already, he helps you suffer less. Um, the problem I have though, is if you're already getting to that point, you've like lost the game. So the, the, <laughs> the ability for him to like save you isn't, isn't really like a game winning strategy in my opinion, but you know, maybe prove me wrong. Take the technomancer. He comes in the higher tech circle box. So he's the easiest one. To right. get take, your- take him and then win BAO and Sheldon will be like, well, let me get your, your exactly your tips and tricks. Yeah. But he's, uh, <laughs> he's, uh, got the ability to do a reanimator. Um, or he can, uh, um, you can select a friendly operative visible to, and within three inches of it, they regain two D three lost wounds. Um, uh, or D3 Lost Woods if it was successfully reanimated. So he can heal people uh, even more than they've already been healed from like Living Metal or from uh, a reanimation, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, his last ability is the Nano Scarab Repair Swarm. Um, until the end of the turning point, friendly Hyrotech Circle operatives cannot be injured. In addition, in the ready operative step of the next turning point, uh, friendly Hyrotech Circle operatives regain up to one additional lost wound as a result of the living metal ability, so that goes up to three instead of two, and a reanimated with one additional wound remaining. So basically, he 
changes D3 plus 5 into D3 plus 7. It's <laughs> pretty gross. Yeah. Um, and then there's an ability that all of the cryptics have, which is called Command. So you can uh, select a friendly death mark or a mortal operative, which includes the Despotech, by the way. Um, within six inches of either this operative or a friendly immortal despotech operative, and that selected friendly operative can immediately perform a free fight, overwatch, one AP pickup, or one AP mission action. This operative cannot wow. action while within engagement range of an enemy operative. Wait, what? So what about the fight? What about the fight one? So, or is it saying specifically can't can't be in engagement range to do it? Is what it's saying. Not not yeah. not the model that you're. you're oh, I see what you mean. At. Okay, yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, what's fascinating about this is that um, Overwatch can be super powerful if you if you're going to get an extra shot off before that model's even maybe even gone yet, right? Because you can do this before they've even performed any actions. Correct. Yeah, you can get an out of sequence Overwatch with this, which I think is where it's the strongest. Um, but the free fight is actually also pretty, pretty powerful. If you know that, um, for instance, you're going to be in a fight anyways, you can kind of like force the fight to happen. And at least in your favor, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the overwatch is really strong because not only do you get basically a free shooting attack out of sequence, it can be like, Sometimes really crazy, like you could have a model like, um, like I was saying before with like the, uh, the death mark, you, uh, you run the, um, the death mark, even though he has a heavy weapon, he can still shoot with it using the command ability because it's treated as an overwatch. No, so, I love that. That's a really cool ability. And it's something that, people should definitely not overlook is because it, it is definitely one of their, one of their better options that they can do once per turn. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. And then I think we touched on it before when we talked about the apprentice, but the magnification conduit, which allows them to uh, send their, uh, their shooting attack through the apprentice. Um, what we didn't touch on though, is it allows you to reroll um, uh, a, a dice result uh, number when you do so. So uh, it can be confusing for some people, but basically, so you're, uh, let's take the Technomancer, for instance. He has the Staff of Light. He's got six attacks, hitting on threes. If he, if you roll, for instance, like uh, a one and three twos, you can re-roll all the twos. But if you roll three ones and a two, you could re-roll all the ones. So it lets you choose one number and you re-roll that, that number. Oh. All right. Yeah. That's pretty good. We've touched on most of this stuff and a lot of high-level high, high level play with these guys. I have a question. Is there a team that's coming up that was recently announced that might make you put down these Necrons and <laughs> join the ranks of a different, uh, of somebody, of something else? I mean, nothing's going to ever make me like 
leave the Necrons. I mean, I've got 25,000 points of Necrons for a reason. Of course. Yeah, same thing <laughs> with the Elder, yeah. But I um, I am uh, currently working on my uh, Inquisitor agents, Inquisitorial agents uh, team, which I'm pretty okay. happy about. Uh, as you may know, I've got a lot of Inquisition. <laughs> I've I've been secretly building this team for five years, apparently. You because- even brought it to LVO before yeah. we knew. Because <laughs> I have, uh, I already have all of my vet guard painted as if they're Inquisition. I already have uh, the Arbites. I already have the uh, Scions painted as if they're Inquisition. I already have basically all of the Inquisitorial agents, like perfect proxies for all of them. And I have uh, the Breachers, and I've got the um, <laughs> the Sisters of Silence. I've just got all of the <laughs> all of the models ready and ready to go. The only ones I'm missing are the the Kassarkin, uh-huh. uh, basically, to be able to run every single option for this team that's coming out. I'm pretty hyped about it. Yeah, that the I'm also extremely hyped about this team. Um, Jackmos, this made you want to pick up Necrons for for Kill Team. I know back in the day, back in the day, you were tempted to pick these bad boys up. Uh, what about now? I would say, yeah, I like some of the unique abilities, and it, it gave me a chance to play those armies that I never got to play, and this is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd consider it. You know, if you find the box lying around somewhere, only downside is trying to find the other, bo- uh, the the you know, the, literally the Chronomancer. That's about it because it's sold out. But that's not like a that's not like a big loss. You know, I won't I won't lose my my life over it. I think they're an enjoyable team. I've got like four Chronomancers. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally fair. Um, <laughs> You have four Chronomancers? Oh, I should have hit you up, man. You should have yeah, hit I've got up, like man. four Chronomancers, two Psychomancers, like five Technomancers. Well, to, be, to be fair, I called him a couple times, but he was busy. <laughs> I didn't realize that the Chronomancer was hard to get because I always just assumed like it's always been sort of a running joke that, you know, every every tournament you buy it. You're, every tournament you can win a Prya Nexus, right? And they're hanging out in the store. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Try to get I didn't realize this became... Yeah. No, yeah. This, um, this team looks like a lot of fun. I'm excited that they're finally good and everyone can start learning about them and playing them and finding out all the little tricks and kits and tools to make them better. Um... Yeah, the Hero Tech's going to be a lot of fun in this upcoming tournament season. Hopefully, they hopefully they stick around, um, and like something like the Beastmen don't just like be like, oh, well, these Beastmen hard countered these guys so hard that uh, you know they're just unplayable again. You know, like I guess we'll see, right? Yeah, but, I'm definitely thinking these cultists uh, look pretty scary, <laughs> bro. They are so cool. They're so so cool. I'm super excited to play them. Uh, I, think, I think someone at GW heard me talking about it because I I literally have been saying for since since those models were previewed, oh my god, wouldn't it be a cool kill team if they like slowly like morphed into the more like possessed dudes? And I was like throughout the throughout the game, and I mm-hmm. I've been saying that like very loudly around a lot of playtesters for a while. I almost wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're like a uh, you orked it into existence, huh? 
I, I, I've been wanting that so bad and, and, and now it exists. I'm like, wow, that's really uh what a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like me and the, the space Marine heroes, you know? Yeah, that too. Complaining about that. it loudly for, for so long that, uh, Games Workshop heard heard the cries of my my orc cries in the warp, and they've uh, they've answered my prayers. Thank you, Gork and Mork. Heck yeah! <laughs> Emmanuel will be proud. <laughs> he, would be, he 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 already is. He's already he gets proud. he gets so much praise um, on this podcast. He does well. <laughs> well I, he I like Emmanuel. Coolest, so. Yeah, he's a cool yeah. guy. He is, and he has a great <laughs> he has a great blog, right? So, uh, yeah, strategic a, advantage. Check him out. Yeah, he's a great. It's a it's a great blog site. Learn a lot from there, and um, yeah, he's a good. He does great things for this community. And speaking of good things for the community, stay tuned for the next installment of Crash of the Emperor's Bounty, brought to us by Rob, right now. Chapter one, mission three, eliminate target. One of the rival kill teams managed to locate Captain Vambrant. She survived the crash escape pod, but has not yet recovered enough to be of any use. The captain of the Emperor's Bounty is a priority target and cannot be allowed to fall into your enemy's control. You must capture her, or failing that, ensure she will not be of any help to the enemy. You know what you must do. Welcome to Chapter 1, Mission 3, Eliminate Target, from the Emperor's Bounty Campaign. So far in this chapter, you landed on the moon of Oxygen 4, scouted out where the possible landing site of the escape pods was. In the last mission, you and your kill team searched the wreckage of those escape pods looking for vital information, perhaps the relic itself, or any surviving crew members. In this mission, mission three, you will either be defending the captain while interrogating her to find more information about the crash, or trying to eliminate the captain before she gives any valuable information to your enemy kill teams. This is a variation of an Octarius mission. There have been some significant changes, so please read through the mission rules. So far, I've played this one a few times, and it leads to some really great narrative moments, like maybe a breacher boy tossing a dynamite through a wall, or reavers going on the attack. So, play this mission... Pay attention to the spec out campaign at the bottom and all the special rules. Um, for this mission, I strongly encourage you to get a guard equivalent model to represent Captain Vambrant. I'm using the Breacher Sergeant from the Navis Breachers and read through those important bits of uh, special rules so you can give this mission its full due. A couple reminders. At the end of this mission, you might have been able to complete your uh, spec op for this campaign. Um, you could only do one spec op per chapter. It should take you three or four missions to do so. Remember, we are shrinking down the requirements instead of five missions with completing a Vantage Tech Op or something like that. You only need to do two of those, so you should have possibly already completed that by mission two, and you might be finishing your Spec Op entirely by mission three. You can't start a new Spec Op until the next chapter, though. Also, pay attention. There are different special bonuses for this mission, depending if you're the attacker or the defender. And remember, some of you might have earned the ability to reroll the attacker or defender dice from the last mission. That might be really important in this as well. As always, have fun and let us know how it went. And uh, post any great stories or you know thematic moments, especially anything that belongs in an action movie, to the Squad Games Discord. I'll be back later 
with our final mission of the first chapter. But for now, good luck in Chapter 1, Mission 3, Eliminate Target. Well, there you go. Mission number three. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, back to you, Dakota. Now, G, is there anything that you want to shout out? That I want to shout out? Yes. Um, I want to shout out all the patrons, like I mentioned before. You know, their contribution allows us to not only do this podcast, but allows us to also run more events out here in SoCal and even in other places like Las Vegas Open. You know, we have to provide a lot of stuff on our own. So this really helps us give back to a lot of the people who want to play this game. So if you're thinking of joining or any interest at all in doing that, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes. Any little amount helps. It's really appreciate it. And um, I also want to shout out the anyone on the Discord, you know, on the Squad Games Discord. We have a lot of conversations there. You have all sorts of people from different places, like Dakota mentioned earlier, and it's a fun place just to talk and to share all your hobby stuff and whatnot. And, of course, you can find us on Instagram at the squad underscore games underscore entertainment, uh, where we're going to be updating stuff such as little pictures of things we do, event stuff, you know, all that standard social media things you got to have. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, uh, the Patreon. So, so I don't know if a lot of people know this, but for all the FLG events and stuff, uh, all of the tournament organizers for every event is just a, uh, is just a person who volunteers their time. Right. So we don't make any money off the event or anything like that. So, um, all those little donations do help. Um, so it's very important. Now, Mr. Sheldon, the important person in this podcast. What do you want to shout out, brother? I've got a couple things, you know, first off, we touched on it earlier, the Bay area open coming up in May 27th, 28th, uh, Memorial day weekend, you know, shouting out the bats, the Bay area tournament squad. We, uh, run, um, uh, monthly tournaments out here in the Bay area. If you're anywhere in the Bay area of California, you know, come check us out. We, uh, we run uh, tournaments at um, the Gamescape North in San Rafael, as well as the Fremont Game Castle and Games of Berkeley. Uh, we uh, uh, put up all the events on on Best Coast Pairings, so just search it if you're in the area and come meet us, come play with us. We have a good time. It's always it's always fun, and um, you know we're uh, we're we're trying to build the scene out here in the Bay Area. So if you're listening and you're Anywhere in uh, the Bay Area of California, you know, come check us out and come play some games. We'll have a lot of fun. Absolutely. Should be a fun time, guys. that is it for us. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening, as always. Thank you for, uh, again, supporting us. And peace out. Peace Peace out.